one of the things that my family has, has learned about me, and, and if you know me, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, uh, but my family has learned this about me. Uh, and that's, I'm not a very good mechanic. Like, I don't know if any of you are like mechanically inclined, but like the day when God was out giving talents to everybody, I was sick that day when they did mechanics talents because I have no talents in that regard at all. I'm just, you know, I want to be a transparent pastor. So I'm just, this is where I'm at. Just not a good mechanic. I, I, I married into a good family, though. My father-in-law is like the opposite of me. Like, he can, he can fix anything. He can make anything go. And so, earlier in our marriage, uh, my father-in-law twice, twice taught me how to change the brake pads on my car. You know, that's a good skill to have, changing the brake pads. And so, twice, he, he sat there and he taught me how to do it, okay? So, that was earlier in our marriage. A couple years ago, my brake pads were, were, were worn. They needed to be replaced. And so I had this great idea. I'm going to change my brake pads. This great idea. Like, like it's such a great idea. I'm going to feel like a man. Like, I can really work with my hands. I'm going to do this. And there's this thought that came across my mind. The thought was, you should probably call Dan. You should probably call Dan and just say, hey, would you come and watch me? Would you supervise me? Would you make sure I do this right? But, and I don't know if you guys ever have that little nagging voice in the back of your head that that says, you know what? Don't call. Don't ask for help. Like there's this little voice in the back of my head that had all these reasons about why I shouldn't call Dan and ask for help. You know, my, my father, he's got an important job down at the Department of Transportation. And I thought, he's, he's so busy. He's got so many big things going on. He's got all these big projects. And like, this is so small to him. He's not going to have time to help me change my brake pads. He's going to say, no, that's, 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 I, I've got better things to do with my time. Or... My other thought was, well, what if, what if he doesn't answer his phone? Like, he's so busy. What if he doesn't answer his phone? And what if he answers his phone and says, yeah, we can do your brake pads like next week. But the problem was my car couldn't wait till next week to get new brake pads. It needed brake pads at that point because they were rotors were already getting messed up. And so, so I just made this decision. I'm not going to ask for help. And I'm going to do it on my own. And I was thinking back to what I learned. I learned that you're supposed to jack the car up. You take the tire off. And then this is where the instructions get a little muddy for me. Like I knew, I knew there's something with like a, a clamp and you're supposed to clamp something to push brake fluid out. I knew something about a clamp and I knew there was something about grease. Like you take this grease and you put it on something and then you put it back together and then the brakes work, right? Well, I'm in the middle of this thing and I, and I can't figure out where all this goes. And I've got this car torn up. And, and, and again, I thought, man, I should call. Like I, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I should just call and ask for help. But then that little voice comes back into my head and says, you know what? If you call, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, you should have called me a long time ago before you started. He's going to come and look at this mess and say, look at this mess you got yourself into. And now you want me to come and fix your mess because you didn't want to call me in the first place. And so I had all these thoughts running through my head. And so I just determined I'm going to fix it on my own. And I put everything back together and I got in the car and there's no brakes. And I'm like, ah. So I called the mechanic and the mechanic's like, you really created a mess and took hundreds of dollars to fix my little mess of a situation. But have you ever been in that situation where like, you know, you should ask for help. 
Like you, you realize I need help. I'm in a situation over my head. But that little voice in the back of your head gives you all those reasons why you shouldn't ask. You know what? Nobody cares about your little insignificant problem. Don't ask because nobody cares. Don't ask for help because nobody's going to listen. Nobody is going to even want to help you. The little voice says, you know, you don't even deserve help. You're messed up. You don't deserve anybody's help. And sometimes we have all these dumb reasons as to why we are afraid to ask for help. Listen, this happens in real life. And and probably more than it happens in real life is this happens within our prayer life. Like, like with God, like we have these things that we know that we should be, be asking for help. We have these situations where we are above our heads, we're drowning in the water, and, and we can't do things on our own. But then Satan puts that little voice in the back of our mind, and he puts those fears in our head. Feelings of how insignificant our little situation is. Feelings of, of shame and condemnation over our sin. And so it works out where, where you're in the situation and, and, and maybe you've made some bad choices in life. Maybe you've made some wrong choices and, and maybe you haven't lived for God and you've dishonored him with the way that you've lived. And now you're in the situation where, where things are falling apart and you're like, I need help. I need to, to pray and ask God to help me in this situation. But that voice comes into your head. God's not going to listen to you. You're too screwed up. You've turned your back too many times. You have done your own thing and rebelled against God. God's not going to come and help you now. You've got to go and and get your life cleaned up. You've got to get things better and and start serving God before he's going to actually hear your prayers. And so you don't pray because you don't feel like you have the ability to. Or maybe, maybe you get this idea that, you know, here we are. We're like these small specks on this great big planet of ours. And you look at all the issues going on in our world and this planet. You think, about, you think about Islamic terrorism. You think about world hunger. You think about greed and corruption. You think about all these things going on in our world. And then we look at us and we think, man, my little situation, my anxiety over this family reunion about having to be around the uncle who's going to say that dumb thing again and just create division in the family. Like this is so insignificant in the grand scale of things. God's not going to be concerned with my little life, with my little scenario, my struggle that I'm going through. So Satan says, don't pray because it's too insignificant. Or maybe, maybe it's just that little voice that says, God's not going to even hear you. God doesn't answer prayers. God, God, God doesn't listen. And so whatever it is, we have these voices that come in the back of our heads. It's why we shouldn't pray. And I'm excited because today we're going to start a new series that we're calling Open Mic. And it's a series on prayer. And and we're going to deal with some of these questions like, 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 why do we pray? How are we supposed to pray? We're going to deal with some of these important questions. And I'll tell you why I am excited for, for, for this series that we're going to go through. Because I'm not sure if any of you have, but I know I've struggled with some of these same questions. Like, why am I supposed to pray? And doesn't really make any difference at all. And I have these feelings in my heart that I've wrestled with myself. So I think this series, at least for me, is going to be very encouraging me for me to understand about prayer. About the, 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 the importance of prayer and what prayer actually does. 
And so we're going to take the next couple of weeks uh, going into July, and we're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to come to an understanding of what prayer is, about how do we do it. And we're even going to deal with questions like, what happened, you know, why doesn't God answer all of my prayers? And so today, today we're going to deal with the question of why pray. Like, why should we even pray? Especially when we understand the lies that Satan puts into our minds. Like, why are we supposed to do it? Does, does prayer make any difference at all in the lives, of, uh, in our lives? So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4. It's found right after Mocha, right before Americano. Just kidding, that was a coffee joke. The uh, uh, book of Hebrews is in the New Testament, the, the, the second half of your book. And uh, just as you're turning there, just a little background on Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a unique book of the Bible. There's, there's really no identified author in the book of Hebrews. Um, some people say it could be, Mo, uh, could be Peter or Paul. Some people say we don't exactly know who it is. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. But this book is a very unique book in the Bible. We know the Bible is actually 66 smaller books that make up the book of the Bible. And in the Bible, there are two testaments. There's the Old Testament, which is 39 books uh, of the first half of your Bible that covers all the stories that happened before Jesus lived. And then you've got the New Testament, which is the 27 books of the, uh, of the second half of your Bible, which covers Jesus's life and all the things that happened after Jesus lived. And so you've got this, this Bible that has these 66 books that recount all these different uh, stories of people, recounts all sorts of events that happened. And these are recorded by, by different authors, writing in different times, uh, writing with different cultures. And Hebrews is a unique book. This is why Hebrews, he, Hebrews is unique. Because it shows that the Bible, especially between the Old and the New Testaments, is not a collection of unrelated stories that just happen to get put together. But it shows that, that the Bible, the Old and New Testament, is a unified story of redemption found through Jesus Christ. This is what Hebrews will show us. It helps us to unfold the mystery of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament and in how those things go together. So today, Hebrews chapter 4 we're going to look at this question of why do we pray? And again, I want to just be clear with where we're going. I want you to understand uh, what it is I want you to, to hear today. Because as we look in Hebrews chapter 4, I want to you to see that we can confidently pray. We can confidently approach God's throne of grace because Jesus, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our mediator. He is mediating on our behalf, sitting next to Jesus, and he knows exactly what we're going through. And because Jesus is our mediator, that is why you and I can approach God's throne and pray for his involvement in our lives. So Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to read verses uh, 14 through 16, uh, and uh, we'll read that together and, and jump in. Hebrews four fourteen. it says, Since then we have a Great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, Son of God, let's hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? 
God, thankful for the opportunity this morning to open up your word. God, we know we're not here just to hear uh, a pastor's opinion this morning. We're here to meet with a living God. And that, God, we've opened up your living word. That, God, we're not hearing a pastor's opinion. We're hearing your word directly to us. So, God, I pray that you help us to, to hear today. I pray that you help us to understand. I pray that you would open up our hearts. You'd open up our lives. And that, God, you would speak exactly what it is we need to hear today. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together and just plead for your presence with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Start, what I want to do is I want to start with verse 16 and kind of work our way backwards. Verse 16 is a very powerful verse. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author is giving us a command. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a, if you'd like to, this is a command that we draw with confidence. We draw near to the throne of God where we find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. See, every one of us in here, we have needs. None of us are God. We have needs. We have weaknesses. We have confusion. We have limitations of all kinds. We need help. Every one of us in here today. We need help to live our lives. We need help to, to handle death. We need help to, to cope with eternity. We need help with our families. We need help with our marriages. We need help with our children. We need help with our jobs. We need help with our finances. We need help with our health. We need help with our loneliness. Every one of us in here today need help to some regard. And the author of Hebrews is saying that we can approach God with confidence. We can pray with confidence. This word confidence in in the original language means to have a boldness. It means to have a, a, a freedom of speech. It means that we can pray to God with boldness. Like we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be bashful. We don't have to watch our words so we try and make sure we say just the right thing. We can be bold and free with our speech when we're praying and talking with God. We have this confidence that we are invited to the throne of grace. Now see, I'm not sure how you were raised. But oftentimes, how you were raised determines how you view God. And so maybe in, your, maybe in your childhood, the way that you were raised, maybe you had this view of God that maybe God was like, like not, not involved at all. Like your parents never talked about God. And so you step into adulthood and you, you know, sure, there is a God, but I don't know anything about him. He's not involved in my life. And so that's kind of my view about God. Maybe you had a view uh, maybe you're raised with a view that God's like this really happy-go-lucky, like Teletubby-type character that's always happy and feeling good and chasing butterflies. And maybe that's your view of God. Maybe, maybe you have the view that God's kind of like a genie in a bottle. And if you just rub God the right way, like you'll get anything you want. And there's that health and prosperity and all those things that are available to you because God's your, your, your big genie in a bottle. Maybe, maybe you had this idea Uh, That God was this angry God. He was this mean God looking to bring vengeance on anybody that he could. Kind of this idea that maybe maybe God's kind of like the high school principal, right? Like any any of you get sent to the principal's office when you were in high school? Like that is a bad place to be. Like when you go to the principal's office and that door shuts, like nothing good is going to come. Am I the only one that knows what this is like? 
Like nothing good happens when that door shuts in the person above us. You know it's going to be bad. You just know that's what's going to happen. In fact, as I think about my own days in high school, there were some kids that went into the principal's office and they never came back out. Like we still don't know where they are. Like we don't know what happened. They've never come back out. Like that's the principal's office, right? And sometimes we have this view about God that God is this big bully looking to to wreak havoc in our lives. Listen, I don't know how you were raised. I don't know how you viewed God. But we want to open up God's word and we want God's word to influence how we view God. We want, we want the Bible to say we view God based on what the Bible teaches. And the Bible is teaching here, the, the author of Hebrews, that God's throne is not a throne of judgment. He's not up there looking to bring judgment on every one of us. His throne is a throne of grace, a throne of, of love and mercy. And so the author of Hebrews is commanding, commanding us. He's saying with confidence, you can pray. You can approach God's throne of grace to find mercy and help in your time of need. Now, I don't know how your mind works, but I hear that command. This is what we're supposed to do. With confidence, we approach the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. But my mind works where I begin to say, well, why? Like, why should I have this kind of confidence? Why should I approach God's throne with confidence, knowing that he hears my prayers and he's involved in my life? And the author understands some of us think this way. And so just before he gives us these commands, he explains why. So if you look back at verse 14, verse 14 says, Since then, we have a great high priest. Most of us in our day don't have a context for what a high priest is. Like, it's just not a term that we use. It's not a term that we're comfortable with. So we say, well, what is a high priest? And if we understand the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, for the Old Testament Jews, the role of the high priest was very important. Because basically, the way that they viewed life is you have this perfect and holy God. You have this God who's perfect and holy and righteous. And then you have us. People, you and I, this is God's special creation. He made us very special. Okay? And so there's God, and then there's us. And then remember what happened? Satan brought sin into the world. Adam and Eve, they ate of the apple, and sin entered the world. And ever since then, you and I and every other human being has been tainted by sin. Every one of us are born with this nature to disobey God. To, to live for ourselves, not to serve God, but to, to serve ourselves. And we all have this bent, every one of us in here. Romans, the book of Romans says, for all have sin because we all have this sin nature. And so there was this problem because of this sin, God was, was separated from his special creation from you and I. And this is where God said, I'm going to do something about this. Because remember, God is a God of grace. And God made a provision. And his provision was that he, that he uh, ordained human priests to be essentially mediators. To be the go-between between God and between us, between people. And the high priest had a very special role that was, that was uh, spelled out by God. 
And this very special role, there was, if there was any variance to it, if there was any, any deviance from these instructions, it brought instant death for the high priest. So his role was very important. And what his role was, was once a year, once a year, the high priest, on, the, on a very special day called the Day of Atonement, he would go into this place called the Holy of Holies, which was at the temple. And the Holy of Holies was the place where that represented the presence of God. And so the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. He would go in and he would, he would, he would sprinkle innocent, uh, innocent blood from an animal. That would be uh, a sacrifice. And that blood would be, be, be dipped on the, on the mercy seat. And if the high priest came out of life, all the people breathed a sigh of relief because that meant that the, the sacrifice was accepted before God and that their sins had been forgiven for another year and they were okay. But, so, so that's the context of the high priest. But notice the author of Hebrews doesn't just call Jesus a high priest. He calls him a great high priest. He's not just a high priest. He's better than that. He is the great high priest. And for us to understand why we can pray, we need to understand why Jesus was called the great high priest. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to see four different reasons why Jesus was called the great high priest. And we'll get through those, and then we'll understand what that means to us about why you and I can have confidence to approach God's throne. So the first thing that makes Jesus the great high priest is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is still alive today. I mean, unlike every other high priest, every other, every other high priest, they lived, they served, and then they died. And that was their story. You could look at their tombs. That's what it said. Lived, served as high priest, died. The end. But Jesus, he lived, and then he died, and then he rose again from the grave, never to die again. That is what Jesus has done. He resurrected and he will never experience death again. This is why we don't need another high priest. This is why we don't need a priest now to go and be our mediator between us and God. Because Jesus is our high priest who is alive today. We never need another high priest because he is our high priest. There's no need for a priest because he fills that role. Jesus is a final high priest between God and man because he will never die. He is still alive today. Second reason why Jesus is a great high priest is because he is with God in heaven. See, as opposed to all the other high priests who would go into the Holy of Holies, which represented the, the presence of God, Verse 14 says that Jesus actually passed through the heavens. He went through the skies and he went into heaven, into the actual presence of God. The Bible talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. In fact, uh, as Jesus entered the very presence of God in Psalm 110, it writes and says, Jesus is to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, here's Jesus. He didn't just go into the Holy of Holies. Here is Jesus sitting at the right hand of God to this day, right now. See, no high priest would have gone to the Holy of Holies and, and, and sat down. But Jesus wasn't just a normal high priest. He was the great high priest. And he sits at the right hand of God 
and the right hand of God's throne because he has made an atonement for all of our sins. Thirdly, Jesus is a great high priest because verse 14, he identifies himself as Jesus, the son of God. He identifies himself as the son of God. Jesus was not merely just some other human being. He wasn't, he wasn't just some human being that was exalted into this priestly place. No, Jesus is actually the divine son of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And this means that when Jesus goes to make a sacrifice, his sacrifice is infinitely, infinitely worth more than any other priest could have made. Any other priest would come in and they would sacrifice the blood of, of bulls or goats or whatever it happened to be. Jesus didn't offer somebody else's blood. In fact, Jesus didn't just offer the blood of a human man. Jesus himself as a son of God takes his own blood, the blood of the son of God, and offers that as our sacrifice for sin. And when God looks at that sacrifice that Jesus made for us, when he looks at the sacrifice that the son of God made, Jesus, God looks and says, the debt has been paid. My righteousness has been vindicated. And God overlooks our sin and counts us as his loved and innocent child because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. So Jesus is the son of God, makes him greater than any other priest, high priest that would have lived. And the fourth reason why Jesus is a great high priest is because he sympathizes with us. Because he was tempted in every way that we were, yet was without sin. That's what verse 15 says. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He sympathizes with our weakness. If you look at the old King James translation, it says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That is our Savior. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of cliche today. When somebody's going through a situation, it's kind of cliche to say, man, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I understand what you're going through. Now, Jesus, he understood even greater than that. Jesus was moved by our sorrow. He was aware of our tears. He was touched by our failures. He knows exactly what we are going through. Because sometimes what happens, especially when somebody goes through a hard time, is many of us have this feeling called empathy, where we can put ourselves in somebody else's situation. And that's great. That's important. It's good for us to have empathy for other people. But when you're that person going through a hardship, and somebody says, man, I can just imagine what you're going through. Sometimes in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you can't even imagine what I'm going through. You don't understand the heartache. You can maybe get a glimpse of it, but you don't understand the depth of, of the brokenness and the hurt and the, and the feelings I have deep inside. And sometimes what actually becomes the greatest thing for us is when we're going through that hardship, is somebody who has been there before us, somebody who's been through that same situation and say, you know what? Whatever it happens to be, loss of a job, loss of a child, whatever happens. When somebody who's been in that situation says, hey, I was in the same situation years ago. That becomes sometimes the most encouraging thing that you can hear is to have someone who walks alongside you who's been through that situation. This is why here at Restoration Church, 
We've tried to create a safe place here at Restoration Church. Because honestly, like, like Christians, like we're really good at faking it. We're really good at putting this smile on our face and acting like everything's gravy. Kind of like that Teletubby Christian, right? Like we can walk in and just put a smile on our face and, and, and everything's falling apart around us. But we walk in on Sunday morning. Everything's good. Good to see you. God bless you. Listen, I don't want to have that kind of church where we, we fake it on Sundays. I don't want to have a church of a bunch of professional fakers. I want us to be able to be genuine. I want us to live with integrity. That when we understand that, that when, when we are going through a situation, chances are there's somebody in the church who's been there before you. Chances are when we come in with our brokenness, there's somebody who will say, hey, I've been in that situation. And let me just encourage you. You'll make it through this. I've been through that situation. Let me walk alongside you. Let me give you some encouragement. Let me walk alongside you and hold your hand. And we'll get through it together because I've been there. And this is what I know. These are the things you need to hear today. Listen, this is what we want here at Restoration Church. I don't want to have this phony, everybody feels like they're good and we all look really good. But deep inside, we've got all this brokenness. No, I want this to be a safe place. Where whether you're bringing some brokenness right now, you've got some circumstances that you can be genuine and real and say, this is where I am. And maybe, maybe you're past that, but you can still come in and say, hey, I've been through what you've been through. I'm not proud of it. It's been difficult, but I will walk alongside you because I've been there and I know what it's like. This is what our text is saying. That Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's been in our shoes. He knows our pain. He sees our weaknesses. He understands what we are going through. Because he is a man acquainted with sorrows. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He truly knows what we're going through. Now, some, sometimes you hear that. You think Jesus understands what I'm going through. Jesus was sinless. He doesn't understand what it's like to live like me. Like I've got all these, all these addictions and I've got all these, these, these struggles and these temptations within me. Like there's no way Jesus, who was sinless, there's no way he understands what I'm going through because he, he must have been sheltered and he had a very different way of life than I did. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And he addressed this very objection. This is what, what C.S. Lewis said. He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of a German army by fighting against it, not by giving into it. You find the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later to still be resisting that temptation. C.S. Lewis says, this is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have sheltered, they have, a, they have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full extent of what temptation means. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. In every way. All those temptations that come to us today to, to, to lust after someone else, 
to, to have that drink, to have that, that high, to, to, uh, to long after somebody else's belongings, to, to, to all these things. Jesus was tempted in every way. And we think about how much temptation we need to give in. Jesus endured all that temptation and more. Jesus can sympathize with our pain and with our dying because he has experienced the same excruciating pain and entered all the way into death. He endured that. Jesus can sympathize with all of our, uh, uh, with all, all of our temptations to sin because he was tempted just as we are. So how was, how was Jesus tempted? And have you, anyone ever been tempted to sin? Okay, if your hand is not up, you're sinning right now. You're being tempted right now. That's just the way it works. Like, if you've ever been tempted to sin, do you think Jesus was ever tempted to sin? Do you think Jesus, when he is on trial for proclaiming that he is the son of God, do you think he was tempted to lie? Do you think he was tempted to lie and say, no, I'm not the son of God, so he could save his life? Jesus, do you think he was tempted to covet? You think about him walking into the house of Zacchaeus, the wealthy little man, with all those things. Do you think he was tempted to, to covet after all that Zacchaeus had? Do you think Jesus was tempted to take revenge? As he's put on the cross for crimes he never committed. And there's all those people who are accusing him. Do you think he was tempted to take revenge on all those people who did that to him? Absolutely. What about lust? Do you think Jesus was ever tempted with lust? What about, what about when Mary wiped his feet with, his, with her hair? Do you think there was a temptation to lust at that moment? What about the temptation that some of us have to, pat, to pout with self-pity? Like, poor me. Nobody likes me. I'm all alone. Do you think Jesus ever had that temptation? Think about when his disciples fell asleep in his last hour. He's about to be betrayed, and disciples can't even stay asleep. And they all scatter when he gets arrested. I imagine there would have been some self-pity that would have been tempted there. Do you think... Do you think that Jesus ever had the temptation to murmur and, and be bitter with God? Think about John the Baptist, his cousin, the forerunner to Christ. He is murdered by the whim of a dancing girl. Do you think there would have been uh, some bitterness that maybe God, that maybe Jesus could have had towards God? I mean, all these things that you and I go through, temptations to lie, to covet, to lust, to take revenge, pout with self-pity, to murmur at God. Jesus has experienced every one of those temptations. And let me tell you, this gives, this has enormous implications on our spiritual lives. Because Jesus, because if he was tempted and never gave in to those temptations, that means that there's nothing that we can say to God that would surprise him. There's no situation that we go through that surprises him because he knows exactly what it's like to deal with the things that you and I are dealing with today and tomorrow and last week and the week to come. Jesus knows the battle. In fact, Jesus fought all the way to the end. He defeated the monster every time. And because of this, because Jesus is our high priest, because he is our mediator between us and God, because Jesus is alive today, because Jesus is at the right hand of, of God, mediating on our behalf, because Jesus sympathizes with us. He's been through what we've been through. That is the reason why we can have confidence to pray to God, because Jesus knows what we're going through. He knows the hardships. He knows the difficulty of it. 
And he's sitting next to God saying, you know what? I've been in your shoes. I know how hard it is. And when we're praying to God, Jesus is saying, yes, yes, let's help them. Yes, let's give them mercy. Let's give them grace. Let's give them help. They have it in their time of need right here and right now. The fact that Jesus is our high priest. Do you see that? Like he is up there on our behalf saying, God, listen to them. I know what they're going through. Let's help them. That is why we pray. Because we have a high priest who's been tempted in every way that we have been. And he understands how hard it is. And he's there on our behalf saying, God, let's help them today. Let's give them mercy. Let's give them help in their time of need. That's what the high priest does. That's why we can pray. Because we have a high priest who's been in our shoes. Who's dealt with our situation. And he's there mediating with God. On our behalf, we can pray with boldness, accessing God's throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need because we have that high priest who's sitting right there, meeting in our behalf, who knows what we're going through, who knows the difficulty. And that is why we say, God, this is where I'm at. God, this is my brokenness. This is my difficulty. God, would you meet me here and now? God, would you extend your grace on me now? God, would you meet me? We bring this to a close this morning. There's something I missed. I want to come back to because it actually is a tremendous application for us this morning. Because we have a high priest. A high priest who is on our side. A high priest mediating with God in our behalf that we can find mercy and help in our time of need. Because we have the high priest. Listen, we still have those times when Satan begins to fill our minds with all those reasons why we shouldn't pray. We have the high priest. But there's still going to be times when we feel because that Satan begins to put in our minds, hey, because of your sin, Because of your brokenness, God's not going to listen to you. God doesn't want to listen to you. God doesn't want to help you. Satan will still fill our minds with those things. Listen, here's what we do. Here's what the author says. Verse 14. He says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Here's what he says. He says, let us hold fast our confession. He says, let us hold fast to our confession. That confession is the unshakable hope in God. That God is working things out in our lives. God is working to bring his will in our lives for his glory and for our good. We hold on to that confession that this is who God is. That God is working in our lives to bring about his glory, to bring about good in our lives. That is what God is trying to do. And here the author says, you hold on to that confession. You grab onto that and you refuse to let go. And when Satan fills your mind with all those reasons why God's not going to listen to you, you come back to that, 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 that confession, what you know to be true. That this is who God is. That God loves you. That God is for you. That God is working things out for his glory and for your good. And here the author says you hold on to that confession. You grasp it. You don't let go. Because you have a high priest. You have a high priest who is alive, 
who's in God's presence, who's at the right hand of God himself, who's the son of God, who's sympathetic with our struggles. We hold fast to that confession that he's mediating on our behalf. And as our prayers are going up to God, Jesus is saying, hey, I've been there. God, we need to help him. Hey, I understand how difficult that is. Let's send him grace and mercy and help. You think about situations you might be facing in life today. You think about whatever's on, on your plate for this week. You've got anxiety for whatever it is. You've got anxiety at work because of uh, a job situation that doesn't seem to be very stable. You've got anxiety in your life over your health issues. That test that popped up, that's got you staying awake at night. You've got anxiety over your marriage. Struggling. Barely hanging on. Anxiety over your kids. They're not living right. Anxiety over your kids because you want so much more for them. Anxiety because you've got this loneliness in your life. You've got this need for a relationship and, and it's not there and you feel this, this loneliness. And you've got you know, anxiety over, over your financial situation and the debt that you're in and, and you don't know how you're going to get overcome it. And then you've got these, these other issues of anxiety over the, the sin in your life and, and, and the difficulties. And here we are. Listen, whatever your week has in front of you, Hold fast to that confession. Hold fast to that confession. That Jesus is our high priest, mediating on our behalf. And because of that, we can, with confidence, with boldness, we can pray and we can approach God's throne of grace. Remember, that's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. And we can find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Amen. Let's pray. God, I even just stand up here today realizing how much I needed to hear this today. That God, we go through these situations and we feel like we're so little. We feel like we're not worthy. Oh, but God, you are good. You are so good to us. That you've given us Jesus as our great high priest not just a normal high priest, but he is our great high priest mediating in our behalf. That here's this high priest who's alive today. He'll be alive tomorrow. He'll be alive next week, and the week after, and for years to come. And he's up there. He's at the right hand of God. And he is the son of God himself. And he's been in our shoes. He's dealt with the situations that we deal with, the temptations that we deal with. And there he is mediating on our behalf. And it's because of that high priest that we have the ability to call out to God, to say, God, I'm broken. God, I, I'm in over my head. I can't fix these brake pads. I can't fix the situation in my life. I can't make things right, but God, you can. And that we can humbly and boldly come before you and say, God, I need your intervention. God, I need your work. God, I need your hand on my life and my situation. And there's that promise that we will find mercy and help in our time of need. 
Think about timing. Sometimes our timing is a little off. God's timing is always perfect. And that's where we hold on to that confession. That God, you are good. That God, you love us. That God, you are working in our lives. God, for your glory and our good. And sometimes we don't know what our good really is. God, you do. And you have a purpose in all things. So God, I pray for us in here today. I pray as we begin this series on prayer. God, that you would transform our prayer life. That it would be an intimate relationship with you. That we would boldly come before you. And say, God, I need your hand right here and right now. And God, I pray if there are those in here today. that are saying, man, I need an intervention. I need God's grace. I need God's mercy. I need God's help right now. God, I pray that you would meet them right here today. That your spirit would, would overflow and fill them up today. That they would feel your presence and know that you are who you say you are. That you are working things out for your glory and for our good. God, I pray that today that they would experience that grace. They would feel that mercy. They would feel your presence in them right here and right now. God, I know there are many unspoken requests here today. So God, I just pray that all of us would have that boldness as we have the opportunity to respond to your word. As we have these opportunities to sing a couple of worship songs. God, there are some in here today that just need to pray. Maybe pray for the first time. Really just pray. And all those excuses as to why we don't pray, that we would set those aside and that we would hold to that confession of of, of who Jesus is. As to why we have the ability to pray. It's not because we're good. It's because he is good. It's not because we're worthy. It's because he is worthy. And that today we would just lay us all out before God. God, this is where I am. God, I need you. God, I just thank you for being with us here today. Pray that you help us to respond accordingly as we have the opportunity to respond through prayer and through worship. Jesus, continue to be with us now. In your holy and precious name.